Let's have a sincere conversation about events across the nation and topics for our own morality. Let's openly discuss in an environment of trust where perception is reality. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Perception is Reality. This is your host, David. And by the time you hear this, it'll be a new year. So welcome to 2020. Welcome to Perception is Reality. I'm excited to be joined today by my newest friend in the whole world, Mr. Michael Barnes. He is a social entrepreneur that believes anything is possible. He's also the host of Awakening Innovations Podcast, which can be found where, Michael? Uh it, I put it on Anchor, and they distribute it to a bunch of other sites or Facebook. So same, as, same as this podcast. If <laughs> There are about 10 platforms right now that Anchor distributes it to, so if you can't find it, you're not really looking. Again, that's Awakening Innovations Podcast. Exactly. Michael, is there anything else we should know about you? Websites, think, social media handles, anything else? Uh, well, well, we'll get into that, I think. Oh, so all right. Awesome. Now, yes. All right. <clears throat> so then we'll just jump right into it. So what are we talking about today? Yeah. So today we're talking about um, community input in solving problems and, and how the community <clears throat> probably knows better than anybody what the problems are and what the solutions are. Interesting. Interesting. There is, I did, uh, I talked about a similar topic, almost identical, but we'll figure it out um, with uh, Danny about the, his initiative called the Mosaic, but yes. we can talk more about that later. So I agree with you that the community um, definitely knows what the issues are better than I think what those people in power do yeah. because I think there's a severe disconnect. That's one of the reasons that I, I mean, I, I think I'm going to be bold and say that I think that's one of the reasons why this podcast exists is because there's perceptions of what yeah. we think people think. And then there's the reality of what they think. Yes. And, um, Michael and I were discussing the green room because he asked me, he's like, why'd you start the podcast? And all of you know, because you're faithful listeners, why? And one of the reasons is because my sincere dislike of social media and how it plays to our cognitive biases, our unconscious biases, and uh, it feeds us information we want to see and hear. And I think that works on a leadership and political level, whether it be at a corporation or at a um, just in in the social world here in our general yeah um government is that there are issues that they perceive we think are important and there are issues that they know will win them votes that aren't really important issues but right. they need the votes so they're going to prey on they know how to prey on people but i'm probably way off topic so why don't you zone me what? in here that's actually a really interesting topic that I could go into as well. Um, I have a lot of interest in that. So <clears throat> my background is um, I've got a PhD in genetics 
I worked at Cincinnati Children's Hospital for 12 years as a scientist. Um, I was leader in my field, one of the leaders in my field. Um, Cincinnati Children's is a second ranked pediatric research institution in the country. And so there are these people around the, around the world called experts. And I was one of them. <laughs> and that's really uh, one of the things that's changed in my perception is back then, when I was in the inner circle with the experts, I always thought that we knew the answers better than the community. And as I've gotten out of, you know, the ivory tower and moved around the world a lot more, it's become clear to me that the people in the ivory tower really don't get it. You were, you were also mentioning government. I agree with that. Um, I've got a company right now. We help nonprofits to do better, connect them with the service providers that they need. Um, so nonprofits very often think that they know what's best. And everybody is running around with their idea of what is best, you know, the cognitive and unconscious bias and, you know, whatever I've studied or what Facebook tells me, um, this is what has to happen and the world will be a thousand times better. And I think far too often, what's left out of the entire conversation is the voice of the community. And the way I put it is gathering the wisdom of the community. Um, and this came to me recently because I actually about a year ago, I think it was around New Year's last year, I ran into a guy on LinkedIn and he was looking to do some work on homelessness. and. Uh, in this one-year journey, um, I, I'm developing a program. Um, it's going to start with one event called Cincinnati Hacking Homelessness, where we're going to gather 100 people in a room for a weekend, look for innovative solutions related to homelessness, and then support implementing these solutions. And, you know, I even started this whole thing, you know, briefly, I was thinking, you know, hey, we should get people in the room and figure out how to do it. Um, and as I started looking around, there are tons of cool ideas out there. Um, and coming from my innovative or my entrepreneurial background, I know that there are a lot more ideas out there. And it just became clear to me that what we really need to do is listen and allow people who probably have a million great ideas to tell us what some of the best solutions are that our leaders, our experts just are missing. And that that's really um, where I am in this whole thing. And, you know, my philosophy has moved beyond homelessness to all sorts of other topics. Mm -hmm. And um, you were talking about the mosaic. And yes, I, I've actually spoken with him. Um, and in many respects, I have a somewhat similar concept. I'm doing it on the local level. He wants to do it on the global level. And mm -hmm. so um, it, it's, it's a change because everyone, you know, the, the way you might say is everyone perceives that they know the reality and, and you don't know anyone else's reality. I don't know yours. I, I don't even know my kid's reality, you know, um, to think that, that some expert, you know, at Cincinnati Children's Hospital or Washington DC or whatever you want to talk about, 
knows the reality of people. I call it on the streets, on the streets in in shelters, wherever. Who cares? Yeah. Um, to think that we know the reality is it is always going to be wrong. I think that. Uh, well, I mean, <clears throat> I definitely agree because there was. Um, I forget who the actor was, but one one actor, uh, I would say definitely an A-list actor, was speaking out against his other actors, telling them to basically shut up with their political opinions because mm-hmm. they don't know what the real truth of anything is because they have, as as the acting elite, which he was referring mm-hmm. to, they have three assistants, they own planes, they're like rich. There's a definite, they don't understand what day-to-day life is for a working person. I'm not saying that they're not hardworking people. They got to where they they got. But his point was, and, and maybe I'll look it up, but, and I, and I bring it up because I think it goes across, not just from there, but into the politicians and into, you know, all name a leader. <laughs> and they just get so separated from what the day-to-day is, which one of my favorite shows, which which I used to watch, with uh, you know, and, and it's a reality TV show, Undercover Boss. Yeah. And I like to watch it. I know it's scripted. It's well, it's it's not really scripted per se, but it's definitely set up like all other reality TV shows. And my sure. listeners know that I know several people that have been on reality TV shows, and they're not really while they're unscripted they're set up to get to elicit certain responses and things but um i liked the concept of that show so much because as a leader do you really know the higher up in the food chain do you really know what's going on right i mean when you've got somebody who's making a hundred times more than their frontline person there's a lot of separation there yeah and then when we talk when we move into politics we're talking about somebody who was went to school for probably political science or they're a lawyer, knowing they wanted to get into politics. That was their whole thing. Then they become a politician and they're not really, they don't, they've never held, not that being a lawyer is not a real job, but please <laughs> forgive me for that analogy. But, you know, have, has that person ever worked in food service? Has that person ever worked in retail? What, are, what do they know? Do they, do they know how to sweat a pipe? Are politicians who've been there for 30 years, even if they were a pipe fitter in younger years, no longer understand it. Exactly. So, I mean, I'm a leader where I work, uh, but I'm not saying that I'm not guilty of certain things, but I definitely, I'm not afraid to answer the phone. Like one of the groups that I run, um, that I'm responsible for is basically what would be considered a customer service group. Mm-hmm. And I will answer phones. I will log in and answer phones. Yeah. Not, not to be helpful because the call volume's up, but just because I want to know what they're going through. What are the, what are the current cu- customers saying? Like what's going on? What's it like? Um, you know, so, and, and I try to do that with other groups that I, that I'm responsible for as well, but, what so sorry it's not about me this is about you really interesting thing a follow-up to what you were saying there is people 
tend to like to talk about it that way. You know, you get high up in a company, you forget what it's like to be on the line. One thing that I've really learned as I moved up in my career is that I never actually understood what it was like to be the boss either. Um, you know, everybody seems to think, you know, you forget how to answer the phone or whatever. But when I was not as high up, I used to think, oh my gosh, I can do that. That's easy. I don't understand what that person's problem is. And then I was in academia and I hired people and you know, it is incredible stress mm -hmm. to have to write a grant or, and get it. Otherwise say you're fired. Yep. Um, the decisions that you have to make, people don't understand. It's always easy to look at someone else making a decision and say, oh, that's easy unless you're the one making the decision. And so, you know, I think it's important to keep in context that no matter whether you're looking, you know, I hate to say up and down, but up and down the, the, yep. the ladder, um, you don't understand. And so it's something to, to keep in mind in all perspective, I think. Oh, I agree. And thank you for rounding that out because I definitely understand what you're saying because once I got into um, the C level, there was a company I was working for and it came down to, uh, you know, making payroll. Right. And which one of us wasn't going to take a salary that week so we could pay, uh, you know, make payroll or that month, whatever, you know, fill in the time frame. Sure. But I, you know, those are discussions that we have to have and people don't understand that. And we shield everybody from that because you don't want to cause mass panic. Right. Um, you know, where you're going through a pivot moment in the company, but oh, I definitely agree. And thank you for bringing that up because it's not easy to make those decisions because I don't know about you, but as a leader, I feel responsible for everybody that works for me, no Absolutely. matter where they are in the organization. I do sincerely. Yeah. Um, even the people that are upsetting me and driving me nuts <laughs> on a crazy basis, I still feel responsible for them. Um, and their success, whether it's inside the company or outside the company, because I don't really want anybody to fail. Maybe it's just not the right fit for them, but right. I do feel responsible. But thank you for that rounding out. I appreciate it. Um, why do you think people don't listen? Because you mentioned that earlier about um, not listening. And I have two questions, actually. So before I forget, if I may. So why don't people listen? And then for you, um, for the Cincinnati hacking homelessness event, if I could just focus in on that. To really get into the community, are you going to have homeless people at the hacking event? Um, so I'll start with the second one. Um, let me just be, you know, a politician or whatever. No. Sure, sure. <laughs> so the answer is yes, actually. Um, my goal, as I said, is to have 100 people in the room. And the way I look at homelessness, anyone can agree or disagree, doesn't matter. People living on the edge, people living on the streets then people living on the edge, people on the edge are, you know, a paycheck away or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. and, and it gives the understanding that even once someone gets back into housing, they could well fall back out. And then the fourth group is their families. Because I, I hadn't thought about that at first, but I was talking to a lady, I do a lot of networking, was talking to somebody about Cincinnati hacking homelessness and I, I didn't know it, but she's like, you know, my daughter's homeless. And she started telling me the whole story. And she's like, I've done everything that I could. And, you know, she went to live with their grandparents and that there were problems there. And so now my daughter's homeless. And 
And it became clear to me that the family perspective is important as well. So um, I'm looking to have four of each of those groups. So the first 16 people are from those four groups. Great. And in fact, if things work out tonight, um, I'm gonna go out with a friend who drives around through the middle of the night and feeds people he finds on the street. So um, we are definitely looking to ensure that we get enough, uh, or that we get input from those groups. Um, it, it'll be an interesting dynamic because I also want to have entrepreneurs, I want to have financiers, I want to have angel investors, I want to have you know the CEO of Fortune 500 companies, um, government people, nonprofit people. I want to have the entire community represented, um, students, and you know the list just goes on. So if I if I get all the groups represented that I want. I'll probably have about 500 people. So <laughs> we'll see what the the room actually is in the end. That's great. When's the event? It's not quite finalized. We're going to be uh, deciding on location next week, but it's going to be June of 2020. Awesome. Um, if you could make a mental note or write it down, I would definitely like to know how that um, how that comes out. Okay. Uh, a a follow-up. <clears throat> I'm sure. not sure uh, this is going to be a news and shock to everybody, but I'm not sure I'm going to carry through the podcast through 2020. Okay. Um, my initial goal was just to do it a year. Uh, that's been over a year and I'm still having a great response, but what I think I might want to do now is have a different host, still have the podcast run, but have somebody else do it with different perspectives and different perceptions than mine and a different background just to take the sh keep the show going but a different different view um i digress interesting um, yeah so, so real quick yeah. let me just say there is a website not surprisingly and not surprisingly it's called cincinnatihackinghomelessness.com awesome and so um there's in more info on the event and i'm certain that there will be more info when it's done and i will okay. also Try to keep in mind, you know, I, I will favor it. Social media, <laughs> I know it'll get out there. <laughs> mm -hmm. so. I'll favorite it and make sure that I check back. Um, I added a dot com to my note. Uh, okay. So I know that it's a website here. Yes. So you also asked me, uh, why don't people listen? And yes. I think there's so many reasons for that, right? The simplest is they think they already know the answer. Um, that's, you know, why ask the question if you already know the answer? We're also taught in our society that knowing something is a good thing and not knowing is a bad thing. And so mm -hmm. people don't want to appear throwing your negative adjective there um, to people. And I think in many respects, we also are in a time where it's, it's um, trying to figure out how to phrase this, Asking questions is often considered malicious. Um, far too often, if you ask a question, it, it's just seen in a very negative light. Um, how, how so? If, I mean, I understand what you're saying, so I don't want you to think that you need to rephrase what you said. Yeah. But so, I just, if you could give us a few examples. Sure. Um, 
One example, actually, I was watching a YouTube video today, and it was called something along the lines of deaf, deaf people react to Google searches or something. And as I'm watching it, there are a couple of deaf people, a couple or three, I don't remember, who are answering questions related to Google searches. You know, do deaf people think? Do deaf people uh, communicate? Do deaf, do deaf people think in words? You know, these sorts of things. And they're just like laughing and, you know, they're like, basically it's, man, what is wrong with these people for asking this question? And I'm sitting here thinking, there are people who don't know. And so they're trying to get some information. So, you know, I, I would say it's awesome that people are asking this question. And do people think, or when you think, do you think in words? When I saw that question, I'm like, wow, I never thought of it. They probably think in, in sign language, and they do an abbreviated sign language, apparently. Um, kind of like when you think in your head, sometimes you think in verbal words. A lot of times you just sort of skip over a lot of words. Sometimes it's pictures. And I actually thought that it was a great question. And, you know, people trying to learn, but, you know, maybe they weren't really trying to be malicious, but I just got, you know, I had the opinion, why not make this be, it is so cool that people care enough about deaf people to want to Google some information. <laughs> no, I, I see where you're coming from. And if I may go down, um, well, first of all, I mean, the whole podcast, this whole podcast is just me like coming in blind, asking a bunch of questions. So, <laughs> um, and also if anybody's listening, um, which I know you are, I shouldn't have said it that way, but for those listening, they all, Michael, they know that I'm a, um, a big stoic. So I, I love stoicism. And uh, there was a famous person who really didn't think he was very smart. He just liked to ask a lot of questions and hence name was Plato. Yeah. Um, so uh, asking questions, you're in the same realm as Plato. So yeah. don't be afraid to ask those questions. But what I'm, my, my coming point now is that what I found by asking questions is that depending on who I'm talking to and in what situation, and this podcast has really helped me because this podcast, as much as it is for everything that I told you, has also been practice for me mm -hmm. um, to learn how to talk to strangers, um, just have a conversation because I feel like the art of conversations con. Um, and one of those key points is to be truly inquisitive about the person you're talking to. Um, you know, really wanting to learn about them, what makes them tick. I mean, who doesn't like talking about themselves? Um, <laughs> even the shyest person does from, from my non-scientific um, non -scientific, uh, method here. But what I found also sometimes is, and uh, I will admit this to you and to my audience, is sometimes I like to ask questions to elicit a response an extreme response and then I will back people away from that response. So I might pick the most, uh, the semi most offensive question <laughs> I can think of to get somebody to, cause it, what I find is that it snaps people into attention. Yes. It causes them to, to, to respond. And then I will either explain or I will back them away from the, the um, metaphorical ledge that I've sure. just put them on. 
Um, but in doing so, what I found out is that people are often offended by much less than I perceive they would be. Right. And I feel like that's where the asking these questions, like when did people become so offended by everything? And when did people, when did it, and there's a, there's a meme out there that that's about this is like, um, nobody ever died from being offended or something like that. Right. <laughs> when did being offended become so crippling? If that, yeah. if I could use that word. Uh, yeah, I don't have an answer to when, but I have two kids. One's a junior in high school, one's second year in college. And I know very well that their generation, my kids are very, <laughs> perhaps I, I, I just say things and offend them all the time. So they don't worry about it anymore. I don't know, but many of their friends get highly offended and, and it stops their brain from working right? You know, I'm offended. Therefore you're wrong. Therefore stop. Therefore nothing else. It, it, exactly. Yes. It, yeah. I, yeah. Uh, yes. I'm stuttering because I don't know how much more I can agree with you. Right. <laughs> uh, it's interesting to me because my perception is that especially higher ed used to be all about being exposed to ideas with which you disagree and learning to Either maybe you change your mind, maybe you learn to create a co coherent um, defense of your position, whatever, but it was not, you know, you will never hear anything that offends your, your poor ears and your sensibilities. Um, I thought it was supposed to be the opposite. I don't know that it ever was, you know, maybe that's just <laughs> the way I like to romanticize it, but. Well, maybe it seems like, in my humble opinion, what my my daughter just grad, graduated in June uh, last year, twenty nineteen. So she's a working adult. Yeah. Um, and my son is in his third year at medical school. Um, so we toured our fair bit of campuses, and it seems like every campus we toured, whether it be for Max or Marissa, there was some sort of protest going on. <laughs> Like they were protesting everything. Um, yeah. And I just, when did, I just don't understand when we as a society became, now don't get me wrong. I think we need to protest things. And like, for example, I'm anti, um, anti fracking and anti like pipelines. Uh, I, I'm saying extreme things just to make the point. Mm -hmm. um, so if we want like the the pipeline that went through the Native American territory against their will. Is that Anwar? No, no, never mind. Um, I don't remember. I'm blanking on it too. I, I'm blanking on it. Um, and just so everybody knows, like I put Michael off, like we were supposed to do our interview like a couple weeks ago, but I've been like sick, double dose of antibiotics. My brain's not fully functioning yet. <clears throat> And I've already had two cough drops. Hopefully nobody heard me change them out while we're, <laughs> we're doing this. But um, I think there are things we need to protest that are, that are worthwhile. Like, for example, like I, am, I believe that we are going to allow drilling on, in national parks. I don't think that's a good idea. And I'm not looking for you to agree, disagree, or argue. But I'm just saying, like, that to me, that would be something worth protesting. But... I don't think these protests on college campuses were 
substantial. I, I mean, I hate to, to say that. But, <laughs> um, yes, we want we want more. Um, I gotta hesitate. I hesitate saying anything because someone's gonna get get offended. But you know, yes, we we need more gravel instead of grass, or more grass instead of gravel, or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, I would much rather have people looking for solutions. Mm-hmm. Um, because in my experience, my uh, my perception fighting against things is rarely as effective you know the don't fight against the old create a new reality that makes the old obsolete and so you know what are things that we can do so you know they have protests here occasionally for you know the i don't know what you call it help the homeless let's call it um and I, I guess that's great. And, and maybe it rallies people and maybe it creates some momentum. But I would much rather have the effort in, you know, let's, I don't know, let's, let's have a fair and raise money um, and for our cause, whatever. Um, but But what is the solution that we can drive at rather than the fight against something so, and, and how can we create a new reality? So one, one example is here in Cincinnati, I'm not sure how long ago it was, a year or two, there's a place called the Third Street Viaduct. Basically, Third Street, it's where you're coming off the highway, and there was, uh, there still is a, a bridge. And so a bunch of people, there was a homeless encampment there. And at some point, the city made the decision, I don't know or care why, and I don't know or care if they were right about it. That doesn't matter. They decided that they were going to rouse this camp. And, you know, because they said it was dangerous, it would, you know, it's by the highway, it's dirty, they don't have restrooms, whatever. And so the police went down there and they rousted these people, but they didn't give them somewhere better to go. So it didn't do much. And they also, you know, you send the police in and, you know, I don't think they went in with batons and beat people, you know, it was, they tried to do it friendly and they knew it was a media circus. So they did the best that they could. But my question is, I, I don't know if you've heard of it, but there's a legal service. And for me, it's 20 bucks a month. It's called legal shield. And so Anytime I interact with law enforcement, I can pick up my cell phone and I can hit what I call the panic button and it will connect me to a lawyer. So what would happen if those, I don't know how many people, let's call it 20, if those 20 people in that encampment had had legal shield and could have called an attorney, what would, how would that have changed what happened? I don't know if it would, I don't, but it would have been an entirely different situation. And that's how it should be, right? You know, yeah. if I can get legal shield, if I can get access to an attorney, other people should be able to. Because interacting with law enforcement is for anybody a disaster waiting to happen. You know, whether you like Trump or not, you saw any number of his 
compatriots go down for things unrelated to Russia. But when the government is coming after you, you're pretty much SOL. And so having, changing the dynamic in favor of, in this case, people who are homeless, I think that that's, that's a, a great innovative solution that would help significantly. You know, what, what if everybody had some sort of a legal shield and instead of being evicted, you called an attorney. Um, I talked to one lady who ended up homeless at one point and she said that, you know, she, I, I didn't get into all the details, but she's like, you know, I missed one rent payment and they kicked me out. I know that in Ohio and Kentucky, you can't for one missed payment. So I don't know what happened, but it sounds as though if they'd been able to call an attorney, things would have happened differently. That's true. Um, if they had that access, um, I know that there's, I don't know about Cincinnati, but I know that there are foundations here in Houston, or at least there's one, which is like, people volunteer their legal advice to lawyers and they can go access them. Um, so on a different note, and I'm not trying to diminish anything you said, but wouldn't it have been nice if a group like that showed up in person? So, yes, I mean, I thought of that as well. Um, I, I go, I often go for, what is it, Occam's razor? Maybe not, but whatever, the simplest solution, right? Yeah. Um, I, I also know that people can get free smartphones if they're whatever, basically if they qualify for any of the federal uh, low income programs, they can get free phones. And so in this one particular case, yeah, the media was aware and they all knew when, when the police were gonna come, but it doesn't always work that way. And so, you know, if everyone had a free phone and access real time, you hit the panic button, you're connected to an attorney. Um, what you're talking about is great, don't get me wrong, and it would be significantly more effective to literally have a human being there, just would be harder to accomplish. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I'm more than willing yeah, to- Because I mean, it would end up being a 20 to one ratio, of one lawyer for 20, 20 um, people who need the assistance. Yeah. And, in, in, in your example, um, I'm, I'm a fan of the seven whys. So I like to, I'm only saying that because I have a feeling you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, in your example, there are programs where people can get uh, subsidized cell phone service. Uh, you know, it's not going to be an iPhone, but it's not going to be, you know, it's still a smartphone uh, with apps. However, you can't get one if you don't have an address. Like what I, in my personal experience, what I've come, come across um, when I volunteered uh, in, in with some homeless charities, the charities that help homeless people, one of the big problems they always had was there's these, all these great programs. People are just like, people will say, literally take my money, but, <laughs> but you can't, to help with, with the homeless crisis and, you know, nobody, everybody, we're fairly compassionate, um, believe it or not. I know you do, but um, 
<laughs> everybody else out there, believe it or not, we, we're, we're fairly compassionate. But to take advantage of these programs, you need a physical address. So uh, just, just one thing. I know a guy who, who's got a company who hands out these free or reduced cost phones, um, and he's handing them out to people who are currently homeless. Oh, so that's awesome. His company has solved that. Um, it's called Stand Up Wireless, if anybody is interested. Um, and they, he's, he's working with, with people who are currently homeless. I mean, I've sent him, he, he has personally gone out to meet with people who have contacted me on Facebook and said, hey, you know, I'm living in my car, there are a bunch of other people out here, and I don't know what to do. <laughs> that's awesome. But that, that's awesome. But you are entirely right. So, you know, you need to get a job. You've got to have a phone to, you probably have to have an address as well. But if they can't call you for the interview or call you to tell you come in, you know, you're out of luck. Mm -hmm. um, if you, um, if you don't have an address, if you don't have a phone, if you don't have at least somewhat appropriate clothing, um, it's really hard um, to make that transition. And so we need, this is, this is one other uh, important perception that I want to change. Um, I don't think that it's government and nonprofits responsibility, at least not fully. I think that there are for-profit solutions. Again, Stand Up Wireless is a for-profit company. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, they're doing government contracting, whatever. But um, I think that there are tons of ways to get the for-profit community involved. And the reason that I think that's so important is that it is so huge and so powerful and so many people, you know, the number of people who work for for-profits vastly outnumbers those who work for nonprofits or government. The, the uh, efficiency, I mean, this will be insulting to some people, but the professionalism of people in the for-profit sector often far and away above the other two sectors. And if there's a way to get for-profits involved in working on this issue or any other issue, I believe that there, we will get to a solution much more quickly. Oh, we will. Cause if you can make money on it, somebody's going to do it. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> if there's a problem and people can solve it by making money, it'll definitely get solved much quicker than trying to raise money, fund it, and then worry about where money's going to come. Like you said, grant, you know, writing a grant, you know, year over year, month over quarterly, if you need to. Um, yeah. And, and the reality is that for-profit sector also, they'll pivot on a dime, right? You know, they will be trying something, it doesn't work, and they'll say, okay, we're doing it this new way. When I was in, in academia, I became a professor. And, you know, it take us a year to write and get our grant. And it was a five-year grant. And so we thought in five-year chunks, right? You, you sound like you've been through startups. Yep. You were talking about being C-level and, you know, who's not getting paid this week. Yep. Um, so you probably understand 
that, you know, the CEO may walk in one day and say, you know what, that just ain't working. Or what I'd love actually is you have a CEO who can make decisions. So you walk in, you convince the CEO of, of how great this idea is. And the CEO turns to the VP of, you know, really cool stuff and says, make it happen. Instead of, again, these, these two other sectors, academic or um, nonprofits and, and government, where it takes forever. And once a program gets in, it's probably never going away. So, yeah, I, I definitely, I can say that I've worked at um, literally like startup to Fortune 50, uh, 80,000 plus people companies. And I will say that. The bureaucracy at the 80,000 person company is not as crippling as I'll say, because I've also served on boards of charities. Mm -hmm. um, I've never held a public office. Um, I don't know that I ever will, would want to run. Uh, for, <laughs> I can share my theory on that with you. But um, I do know from working in, uh, working with, I have some government offices that might be, you know, clients of where I currently work and they <laughs> definitely think much more long-term and they definitely think much more slowly. You don't have, uh, like at a startup, like you were saying, it was either um, me or the CEO. We were, and I still do this, constantly reading, you know, looking at things you know, where's the industry going? What's happening? Can we get a jump on it? Or, you know, hey, why are we doing it this way when we could do this more efficiently? And then, hey, can we sell our solution? Hey, we came up with a solution to this problem. I bet you we could sell it to our peers. You know, th that was the kind of thinking that we had. Uh, if you have an idea in, like, if I had an idea today, uh, it would take, it, first of all, it wouldn't reach the right level. Um, well, I'm sure actually it probably would, but to have it inactive would be quite difficult. Um, so I, I, I totally understand it. You need these, you need these startups or the, the, the for-profit sector, somebody to come in and dedicate like your friend or your, your colleague or whoever, however you want to refer to him and stand up wireless. You know, right. he, he found a problem. He found, he found the answer and I want to commend him for this. <laughs> he found the answer to the address problem. And that is that I totally have the utmost respect for this person that I don't even know met, have no idea what his name is, but he found the solution to that problem. That is one that he wanted to look into it Two that he actually found a way around it. That's genius. Cause that's been a problem. I mean, I work in telecom and it, that's been a problem. Yeah. So kudos to him doing that but so how do you get around the perception of this for-profit existence in a social world i i feel like and this is just david's opinion right now i feel like that some people might be put off by that oh you're taking advantage of x y and z you know or whatever how, how, yeah so I've Am had I that there? And, and 
I don't necessarily get around it, right? I look for the people who agree with me and not in terms of, I want to have a bubble, but I have found a long time ago that expending much effort again on trying to change the old, it, you don't get nearly as much bang for your buck. And so if I find people who, who agree with me that it's okay to make money while solving a problem, I will get a hundred times more done rather than trying to convince people who disagree. And I am very much focused on how do I make things happen? How do I get a solution? Um, but I've had that conversation a lot of times and, you know, I, I just completely disagree. And, and it's not me saying that nonprofits should vanish from the face of the earth. Um, it's not me saying government should go away. Sure, they've got their place. That's fine. You go play in that sandbox. This is a sandbox that I choose to play in. And interestingly, for Cincinnati Hacking Homelessness, um, I have a partner with 25 years in nonprofits, grant writing, consulting, academia. She works at a church, all kinds of stuff. Another guy who, uh, he, he was a high school principal. He's now really interested in gun violence, getting into homelessness, and really interested in government action. So in, in my little team for this, event i have people who have interest in um the other sectors but they also i don't think that they have you know some moral opposition to making money if you're providing value you know if you're solving a problem my philosophy is if you're solving a problem and it's some manner of fair exchange of you know money for goods and services whatever then go for it. You know, your alternative is, and this is what I always like to, to think of, you know, what's the alternative? The alternative is the for-profit sector says, well, forget you. Um, we, can't, we can't do anything here. And so we're gonna go back and do our, do our own thing. People who are sleeping on the streets are still cold and wet, but, you know, you won a moral uh, victory because you've explained to this poor schlub, Mike Barnes, that making money off of this situation is not appropriate. I would question <laughs> the morality of that, uh, of that pathway, because you also don't get to change the world, I don't think, on a dime and say for-profits should just, you know, give us all your money. So you have the option to bring them in as partners or kick them to the curb is the way that it really works. Well, I think that's an interesting way to look at it. If I could boil it down just to say, okay, so which is less right, so to speak, <laughs> making money off of solving the problem, but having the problem solved or not solving the problem. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, I might be oversimplifying it, but I mean, I think there's a fine line there in my, in my brain. This is the way David's brain would work is that I'm okay with, I mean, I've been an entrepreneur, um, probably will be again before, you know, <laughs> I don't know how much time I have left on earth, but 
probably will be again before that time comes, hopefully. Sure. Um, however, I don't think that there is a problem making money off of solving one of these huge social issues that we have as long as you're not taking advantage of the person or thing you're trying to help by that solution. So, the, yeah, I mean, there's always some sort of moral level and, you know, that that's a very specific kind of thing. But, mm -hmm. you know, you can also argue the morality of nonprofits, which in far too many cases are run hugely inefficiently. Oh, yes, yeah. appreciate it. You know, we won't even get into the problems with the nonprofits, but they feel morally superior because we have that IRS designation. Governments are hugely inefficient and do all sorts of crazy, wacky stuff. Um, and, and so, again, you know, I always like to have a broader, more rounded view. For profits, absolutely, they're not perfect. Um, there are some for-profits out there who are going to try to game the system and you know the the people the doctors who get caught in medicare fraud and whatnot yeah i mean if we but if we just boil it down and assume that we're talking about you know reasonably uh, uh law-abiding citizens ceos companies however you want to look at it um my philosophy is more power to them if they make a billion dollars a day. I mean, I don't care, right? If they have gotten every person off the streets and they're making a ton of money and people are, and again, right? So, you know, people say, oh, you know, you can get them off the streets, just throw them in prison. So, okay, I'm not going that way. You know, get them into safe, stable housing where they're becoming productive members of society and getting whatever support they need, you know, that kind of stuff. And they can find a way to make a ton of money at the same time. I love it. More power to them. Um, well, I'd argue this is going <clears> to, <throat> excuse me for a second while I get in my box. I would <laughs> argue that those people who want to just throw them in jail are arguing for like, uh, because that's a money, jail is a money-making initiative anyways. They're, they're privatized ones anyway, but I'll, I, I, we're not here to talk about that. I, no, I, and, and that's fair. I, I don't think that most citizens, there may be politicians who think that way, but I think most citizens who talk about it are just saying, get them out of the way. So I, I, I understand what you're saying. And to those citizens, I would say that um, what, what's the point in, in putting them in, in, in jail? I mean, <laughs> I don't, I don't understand that argument. I'm not asking you, Michael, to explain that to me somebody else we can do a whole episode just on that that's not what we're here to talk about today but i just i don't see the point in doing that and, and i have volunteered for um charities uh whether it be on the board or just as a volunteer for various charities that multiple charities so i get what you're saying about the inefficiencies there and, and there's a reason why i'm not really on a board or, or doing that right now um it's it's rare to find a charity that is really run efficiently. I'll just leave it at that. I'm just going to leave it. I, I think you're, picking, you're reading between my lines. Um, I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah. So just, just in case somebody listens to this and get, gets the wrong idea about me, you and I may agree on the whole prison thing in general. Um, 
I am exceedingly against our entire philosophy of locking everybody up for, for everything. Mm-hmm. I think that we've hugely lost our way. And again, I think that a lot of citizens, just general people, think that it makes life easier. And, and even without the profit motive, I mean, if I were in charge, we would do things significantly differently. And, and you were talking about running for office. I'm just going to say this. I've, I've said for decades, I don't want to be president of the U.S., but someday I might run for dictator of the world. So <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> that, that's fair. So real quick, <clears throat> my, my listeners have already heard this, but they're like, here's why David would never run for office. Or, or this is what's preventing David from running office today. Um, let's just call it the House of Representatives or Senate. We'll just use the Congress, right, as an example. Okay. I firmly believe that most of the people going in and that want to get elected are getting elected for the wrong reasons. I believe that it's a sincere minority of people that actually want run, want to make a change that get elected. Um, for example, have you seen the movie Dave? I, I think I did, but I don't Kevin remember. Klein uh, is a stand-in for the president who has had a stroke. Yeah. yeah. In the movie, the good guy is literally the vice president who is a nobody. He ran and he managed. He's a, he's a minority. And that's that's how I feel about politicians in general because um and and i also believe that that that's like a unicorn because i think once you're in the system you realize all the benefits that the system has so now i'm in congress or in the senate there's this thing called insider training i'm exempt from that right (laughs) you know i know everything that's going on all i have to do is have somebody on the finance or governance committee and i know exactly every merger and acquisition that's happening in the world because guess what? They have to get approved. Right. So, but you know what? Knowing that information, I can then go buy all the stock I want or sell all the stock I want whenever I want. I'm then, exempt. So yeah. my point is people get in there trying to make a change, like term limits. I, I really am a term limit advocate. But somebody could campaign on term limits. Then they get in and, and the other politicians kind of circle around. They invite newbie up to lunch and they're like, hey, <laughs> you know, they're, they're not rude about it. They're just like, hey, here, here's the insider book now. We want you to read this. We're going to have lunch with you again in a week. Okay, so now that you've read all the benefits, fast forward a week, now that you've read all the benefits that come with this position, insider trading, health benefits for life, salary, you know, salary, your retirement salary forever, um, all of these things. Now, remember when you campaigned against that? <laughs> how do you feel about that now okay so here's what we're going to do you can still smoke screen it and we're going to pretend to block you and you need to pretend to hate us but at the end of the day i need your support in this other thing so it's all smoke and mirrors that's just i don't have any proof that's just in my mind that's how the movie plays so just just real quick i i wrote a blog post recently um and and i think that this is where it starts. Uh, the general population needs to change our philosophy. And it was entitled, they're not leaders. And I think the first thing we need to do is stop talking about our political leaders and talk about our public servants instead. Exactly. And just that change in terminology will draw in the right people and repel the wrong people. 
I'd say that's the first simple step. <laughs> I, I sincerely agree with you because the people, they are our public servants. They are, we hired them. Yes. And we do not hold them accountable. And then we continue to invest our time, energy, and money into people that aren't producing the results we want because we think they'll do it next term. Right. Yeah. Anyway, so we're digressing. So let's talk back about <laughs> how, <laughs> how, um, I forgot, we were talking about um, how people in the ivory tower don't get it, that was part of it. Uh, we talked a lot about confirmation biases and unconscious biases. Um, so, so well, how do we get the community? So we're really, we're ultimately talking about community input and solving problems. Yes. How do we get one question I had for you earlier, and I'm just going to spring this on you. You're going to have, and I have no doubt this is going to happen in Cincinnati. You're going to get this done in June. Yes. You're going to have that group of 500 diverse people. How, sir, are you? <laughs> <laughs> going to get them to consensus? That's a great question. So we're actually, uh, you know, we're, we are working through our process right now. There are, there are multiple methods to do it. And uh, one thing that I say when I get asked that question is, I'm not actually looking for consensus. I am looking so the outcome of this weekend, I used to say the outcome I'm looking for is five for-profits, five non-profits, and five social ventures, okay? Spin off some companies. And then people started arguing with me on all sorts of details. And um, to me, the details were important. So now I talk about 15 1% solutions. So a 1% solution might be better... Um, networking, organization, communication between existing nonprofit entities. A 1% solution might be a marketing campaign so that people who are currently homeless know what to do and where to go. A 1% solution might be part of what I'm doing on my podcast, um, telling the community that these are people. You know, they, they are going through what I call a phase of life um, and and they're real people, so just think of them that way. Um, you know, I, I've interviewed a lady who, who during college, to pay for college, she went to the sex industry. She was a, a dominatrix. I've talked to people who have had multi-million dollar companies, and it all collapsed, and they ended up on the street. I've talked to people who were on the street and have built multi-million dollar companies. And I did a recording recently with this couple who... When he was younger, um, he, 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 he dealt drugs and he went to prison for it. She was abused as a child. Um, so I'm, I'm talking to people who have gone through, I, the way I put it, they've gone through the fire and um, they've come out the other side. And their success, in my view, granted they do a lot more stuff, don't get me wrong, their success, in my view, why I first wanted to talk to them is because they're happily married and they've got the cutest little baby girl. And so telling those stories would be a 1% solution. Um, you know, building a, a community of tiny houses with 
you know, a big building in the middle where they can get service providers, you know, provide their services, do whatever it is they do. That could be a 1% solution. Um, you know, 1% solution could be anything. And, and you asked me, how will I get consensus? With 15 1% solutions, I don't need consensus. I just need people who want to do something to be in the room. And then they have 15 options. And then they can, they can migrate towards what, what strikes their soul. You know, what would feed their soul? Are they, I want to have people who are in the construction and remodeling industry, people who are in the skilled trades where, you know, people with, with records can get jobs. Um, I want to have people in the nonprofit arena who can, you know, work together and do better collaborations. I want to have, I have this vision that we get Procter and Gamble, uh, you know, one of the biggest companies in the world, they're headquartered here in Cincinnati, that they will offer up three months of marketing services to accomplish one of these goals. And that's why I think of these marketing campaigns aimed at people who are currently homeless or the community or whatever, you know, that there are so many things and, and so many things I haven't thought of that I've got a guy that I know who is in a city 50 miles north of here. Um, he, he has um, interest and he's, he's doing work. They are looking to do um, create an investment pool for federal opportunity zones. And how does that fit into this? I, I'm mentoring a company right now. They're doing um, indoor gardening or, or farming. That it right now we're not 100% sure if it's for-profit company or nonprofit. But mm-hmm. you know what could we do with indoor farming? You can train people. You can get them food. You can you know whatever it is. And, and so you know this guy's already doing it. And other people are too. Maybe create a consortium and, and all around the city. I was talking to a lady who works at a, a food pantry. And she was saying, you know, when it rains, the people don't come in to get their food because they don't want to walk through the rain or the snow or whatever. And, you know, I'm just sitting there at this meeting. And I said, well, you know, why not set up a delivery service? You know, why are we making these people come to the food pantry? Well, you know, then you, they like to choose their food. Well, okay, Kroger has the ability. You go online, you select the food you want, and they deliver it to you. Why not set up something like that? Oh, well, here's this problem, that problem. Well, you know, if we set up a citywide distribution system like that, all of the, all of the food pantries who want to, or however, you, however it works out, list their supplies, on this one website, people can use this free cell phone, go to this app, they can order their food, and then get it delivered by Uber, maybe. I, you know, I, I don't know the details, but there are people out there who have skills in creating apps. There are people who have skills in logistics. Um, I, I, was, I was mentoring at a, an accelerator a couple years ago, and this guy had the idea he wanted to to help with the food deserts. And so he was gonna work with organic farmers and then transport the food to the corner store in these food deserts. And 
you know, leave a bag of groceries at the corner store. That way he didn't have to go to every single house to deliver. And the corner store would make five bucks on the transaction. So he would be supporting the small business in the area as well as helping to alleviate the food desert. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how do I come to consensus? I don't need to. Um, that's the beauty of this is, you know, you can, with your entrepreneurial mind, you can probably think of 50 different skills that are needed on different topics, different projects. And so, you know, the people choose which one they want and then help push that forward. Yeah, I like it. I think <clears throat> that makes a lot of sense. And it kind of excites me a little bit to, to hear that because that's one of the things that I worry about for Danny is getting, you know, for, for the mosaic is getting, cause his really kind of revolves around consensus, but I, he's got ways around that too. But, <laughs> um, and you're in your way, you're like, you know, screw consensus. We don't need consensus. We're going to have a bunch of ideas and basically the good ones are going to get the attention and the bad ones aren't. It's not a matter of like, we're picking, you know, one golden egg, you know, it's not like we're on the Wonkavator and you know, <laughs> we need to get one golden uh, goose egg. It's, that's not what's going to happen. Um, yeah. There are no Veruca salts in this. The, the, there's going to be a bunch of ideas and the best ones will bubble to the top and they will naturally gain support because they're the good ideas. People will, it will speak to people um, on some level and they will just have lives of their own. The idea is to help birth them. Yes. If I'm hopefully I summarized that all up. Absolutely. And, and, and we're, we're still working out a lot of the, the plan for it. Um, it it's kind of funny, right? So I've been an entrepreneur. I've done, uh, I've been a mentor at accelerators. Um, I've been a business coach. And so, you know, I could walk in today and do it. It might not be the best ever, but it would work. And so, um, I'm not sure if people outside of the entrepreneurial community get that because everyone's like, oh, so, you know, what method are you going to use and how are you going to do this and whatever? And I'm like, we're getting there. That, you know, the exact method of how I'm going to run the room, I have no doubts that can happen. I've seen it happen a dozen times. <laughs> so it, it'll happen. It's all good. Um, but again, um, so, you know, getting back to, nonprofit government, whatever, you know, people want to spend forever. Let's talk about it. Let's figure out how exactly how to do it. Then we'll apply for a grant and we'll get the grant in nine months. And then we can do it six months after that. I'm like, no, yeah, <laughs> let's that takes do this. Too long. Yeah. And, and I keep thinking about it. So, you know, sticking with homelessness, I think about it. It is, it, it has been freaking cold. And so, no, it's not okay to wait just three more months. Can't you, I was asked, can you put it off a few months so that this group can participate in what I'm like, there are people on the streets, right? Or in shelters. And, you know, some people say shelters aren't that bad. I've talked to other people who talked about getting robbed and beat and raped in shelters. And so, you know, it's not okay to just wait. My my original interest was anti-human trafficking, actually. And with that, you know, it's the same sort of thing. Well, you know, how can we do this? And let's set up a five-year plan. I'm like, no, 
there are people who are basically in slavery today. It is not okay to just wait. It is not. <laughs> no, it doesn't. And, and what, <clears throat> what happens, what I've seen is that when you're on that cycle, because I, I've been in that cycle, but not as heavily as you, um, believe me, that when you're talking in such long terms that by the time you get to, but what I've seen is like, okay, we've applied for a grant, the grant, you know, might've taken us at what we were doing um, three or four months to write our grant. But, you know, by the time the money came through, the problem we were trying to solve, it changed. So our right. original idea was maybe not as effective as, as it should have been or could have been. Right. But it's restricted funds. And it so is, it's very restricted funds. No, no. We, so, hey, we've got this new idea. Like, this is the thing that boggles my mind. And you'll, I think you'll appreciate that, that I think the common perception is different than what the reality is. You can write a grant, get it approved, and the money comes in. But by the time that comes in, you've got significant time. We've already proven that. Here's the, here's the rub, if I can quote some famous movie or whatever. Let's just say from point A to point B, point B being the point A being uh, submission and acceptance, point B being um, funds released. Between that point, whatever time that is, if you have more ideas, better ideas on how to better handle and be more efficient with that money, but it's different than what you wrote the grant for, you can't do it. Right. <laughs> so you can't say to the people providing you the money, half, we have this new idea, we can take this money. By changing the original idea just a little bit, we can use these funds and make them go twice as far, but we have to change what we're going to do with the money. Nope. Can't do it. But it's better. Nope. We'll help more people. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's far too much of that. And, and it, it's the kind of thing that drives me crazy because, again, I'm all about solutions and making it happen. And I understand the need to be fiscally responsible. I understand the need to, you know, you don't want to, in most cases, just sit, hand somebody a blank check. Um, but there's got to be a happy medium between all these things. Mm -hmm. Well, I have no, I, no, no doubt that um, Cincinnati hacking uh, homelessness will be that way. And what I think people don't understand, and when you said something, it just made me go to my Homer Simpson reference was, we'll get there when we get there. Yes. Um, sometimes that's actually very valid in the world of business. We'll get there when we get there. This is like, so when, and in your example, they're talking about how you're going to run the room. Like, it's not like you're a rookie at this. You know how to run a room. That's not the biggest right. part of the problem. Like, yeah. that's the easy part, people. Relax. We'll get to that when we get to that. <laughs> Yes, that's my philosophy. I know five people who can do it. And so, you know, which method will we use? I'm not sure. Um, and if the other thing that happens and exactly what you were just talking about, right? So if I was saying right now how I was going to run the room, what would happen is I've had more and better ideas since I got started on this. But if I started laying down in stone how, how I was going to do it, I would have not moved on to other things. So I've got this one event since I hacking homelessness. My goal was to create ideas and spin off companies all on this weekend. But someone came back to me and said, you know, maybe you have some ideas, you figure out how to move things forward, then have 30, 60, 90 day timeframes. And at 90 days, you come back and basically have um, 
uh, a pitch session, right? So the people who've actually moved their ideas forward pitch in front of who knows what, you know, Queen City Angels or uh, companies or uh, service providers or people who might want to join forces. Um, but if I had said how I was going to do it, then I wouldn't have been thinking, you know, how could I make it better? And exactly like you're saying, I now have better ideas because I just keep working and refining and exactly mm -hmm. how it is going to be in the end. I don't know yet, but it's getting better every day. Well, there's time to solidify it. It's in June. Um, so I'm not worried about, uh, you know, from, from knowing you now for forever, for like an hour, like I'm not worried about your that at all for you. I have no doubt. Um, I think you, you may, I, I'm in, if, if, if I've gotten to know you a little bit, you, I perceive that you might like what I'm about to say <clears throat> is that when I'm working with a company or a leader or even my own teams at where I work now, I always tell them just because I have an idea or I say something doesn't mean that's what we're going to do or have to do. It's the beginning of the conversation. Yeah. I, I always had the philosophy and I, I told a number of my bosses this, you know, my job is to give you the best advice that I can. You're, I get it. In the end, you're going to make the decision. But even if you don't like what I'm going to say, my job is to tell you because it might make it better. And so, and I told the people who worked for me the exact same thing. I said, you know, your job is to tell me what you think, whether I like it or not, because obviously, you know, however many minds is better than one. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, definitely, definitely. You can agree Which is why you're getting the community together. Right. <laughs> because ultimately more, more will more is better um yeah and and another benefit that i foresee is community engagement uh and support right because when you go in as the expert or the government or whatever and impose something you always run into people pushing back um but if the communities come up with these ideas i anticipate that they will be better accepted I hope so. I yeah. hope so. It's <clears throat> my worry uh, for you, which is not really a big one, because but it's just a small kernel, and it's kind yeah. of the worry that that I have for a lot of things is this. Just just from my ex previous experience, is that you can get all the interest in the world. Let's just say you get a million people in Cincinnati interested, and they're all that's a million people's not going to show up at the end of the day. Like you might get him, you might get every single one of those million people to give you a dollar. I really often find that it's very easy to solicit money from people, but soliciting their time is another thing. So I, yeah. I really hope that you, I actually, I, I don't hope, I know that you have ideas. I know you're probably not talking about them, but I have a feeling that you've got a way around it. Absolutely. That's a big part of what we're, we're looking at and planning that and part of how we're going to fill the room. Um, you know, one simple example is I want, we've got a place here in Cincinnati called Union Hall and there are a bunch of accelerators there and entrepreneurs and shared office space. 
I want those people in the room because those people are looking for the next great idea mm-hmm. and they want to take on something as well as having people from uh, or college students show up because they're looking for something. So, you know, a, as part of how we intend to make things happen, it's filling the room with the right people. Well, I, I definitely, I, I like it. Um, I'm excited about it. And I like where your head's at personally about everything that you're talking about. So, I mean, the only thing I can do from here is really be in violent agreement with you, which um, <clears throat> I'm going to just say that I don't know that uh, you know it from an ethnic standpoint, but as growing up as in, in the Italian community, we were often in violent agreement when people thought we were arguing. We weren't. We were just violently agreeing. But from your business background, I have a feeling you understand what I'm talking about. Yes. Um, so that's an interesting term for a lot of people don't really understand or come across is when I try to talk about violent agreement they're like what (laughs) like obviously you've never spent Sunday dinner with me or my family or one of my Italian friends right Um, all right so circling around Michael did we cover everything that you hoped we'd cover today did 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 I do okay with the topic absolutely um, and we got into some awesome conversations, each of which could be another podcast. So yeah. Yeah, love- that generally happens, um, which is probably why I have a guest list a mile long at this point, which I'm very thankful for. Um, sincerely, I don't know how or why people find me because I don't do any advertising for this podcast. I literally post it on my Facebook page, my website and the Instagram. That's it. <laughs> um, and then Anchor does the rest, as you know, because your podcast is on Anchor. They distribute it. And even with the title, I feel like the title really, really, as as somebody pointed out, it's really the title isn't perception is reality. It's perception isn't reality, but that's close enough. Close can, enough. But we can um, have the discussion of perception is reality if you want it as well. So, <laughs> yeah, but so even with that awkward, very weird title, people still have found and listen, and and they listen, and then they want to be guests. So yeah, keep keep coming in. Um, so let's refresh everybody. Um, you are the host of Awakening Innovations podcast, and some of the things you talk about are. Yeah, so I've got two tracks. One is uh, people who see a gap and come up with an innovative solution, and the other is uh, people who've been through the fire and come out the other side. People who've been through challenging situations and succeeded, whatever success means to them. And they can find you, thanks to Anchor FM, on any podcasting hosting platform. There's literally like 10. So again, if you can't find Michael's podcast, you're not doing a good enough job. Your Google Foo is off. You need to, to readjust <laughs> your, your Google Foo. Yes. Or just um, try Facebook, Awakening Innovations Podcast is a page also. There you go. So there's another one. Um, and everybody, if you want to get a hold of me, it's PIR Podcast at gmail.com or you can call the voicemail line at what is my voicemail line one air country code one uh area code 585-210-0240 leave me a message as always you guys have heard this heard this many times if you tell me that you don't want the or whatever comment talked about or aired but you want to leave me a comment i will respect that if you forget that disclaimer, I reserve the right to potentially air or talk about your topic. I won't name your name unless you're like 
hey, I want to talk about this, and then you'll be a guest and you'll be talking about it. So there you go. Um, That's awesome. Well, that uh, I think concludes another episode. I want to thank Michael. Thank you for being here. Thank you for organizing the Cincinnati Hacking, Hacking Homelessness event. I can't wait to see what you come up with next after that event. Um, <laughs> We've already got that planned. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And so coming uh, in June and for anybody who's a listener in Cincinnati or Kentucky, because they're basically the same area. Um, yeah. Go join. There's, there's room for you at the table. Um, and even if you're outside of the, the area uh, and, and you have interest, I'd love to talk to you. So we're, I, I'll, I'll give you the hint. Our next stage is do this in a hundred cities. So. <laughs> well, fantastic. So they can reach you by going to the Facebook page or is there an email address you want people to reach you by or something like uh, that you could, that they could do. Sure. So um, the, the website has a, a sign-up form, or feel free to re reach out to me at email, and it's mbarnes, B-A-R-N-E-S, 4321 at gmail.com. And that's my personal email. Feel free to reach out to me, and I'd love to talk to you. Great. Whatever you just, so. And we want to expand this from Cincinnati to 100 cities. And then beyond that, uh, I'm just going to say. So I think we can make it happen. If anybody can make it happen, I know it's my listeners because awesome. they're obviously awesome. Um, <laughs> and they're worldwide. So, you know, I even have non-English speaking countries listening now, which is really awesome. So thank you for that. And hopefully I'm in, you, hopefully the verbiage that I use is easy to understand and I don't, um, always sound so nasally and congested. <laughs> All right, Michael, thank you so much for being here today. I had a great time. I uh, hope you did as well. And everybody, you know how to get a hold of us. And we'll be back next week. Thanks. Thanks a lot, David.